0: This is The Red Line, where we talk to three expert witnesses about one issue shaping the news, both here and overseas. But today, we talk to four witnesses, because this subject is huge. Housing and shelter is one of the most basic needs a person has. It keeps us safe from the elements and allows us to build a home base on which we build the foundations of our lives upon. But for many people in Australia, this is a dream that is quickly becoming unattainable. The last year in Australia was one of the lowest years sales-wise for millennials, for lack of a better word. The younger generation are increasingly pushed out of the market by developers and overseas investors, and more and more of this country's wealth is being tied directly into domestic housing. In fact, here in Australia, sales-wise, there were more people purchasing their seventh home than there were people purchasing there first. And this is a trend we see in almost every Western nation. It is increasingly quickly becoming a monopoly board with all of the properties bought up. So this week, we speak to three expert witnesses on why the housing market is like this, what does this mean for our economy, and do these storm clouds show the signs of another great financial crash?
1: Part one, shaky ground. Well, the Australian economy is definitely, um, has been in better places before the numbers are not really looking great in terms of um, the wage growth, and in terms of a, a bunch of economic factors. Um, they were all kind of being joined by house prices that took a dive over the last um, kind of 18 months or so, but have, have recently started to recover. But definitely the, the sentiment um, in Australia when it comes to the economy is 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 not good. And, you know, in the end, economies are all governed by psychology. So that's a that's an indication that uh, we may be far from the recovery. Graham Cook
0: is the Insights Manager at finder.com.au, where he drives consumer focus research and appears regularly on Australian TV and radio. He is a graduate of the Dublin Institute of Technology and has over 10 years' experience in analytics and writing.
1: Recently, if you look at um, economic factors which indicate the potential of a a housing bubble on the horizon, one of them is, is, is housing affordability. It's basically the... Uh, the, the income people make versus the, the cost of a home. Um, and if you look at those figures like right now in New South Wales, the average um, full-time earnings for somebody is about $90,000. That's what the average person makes and takes home. The average house price uh, in Sydney is around 900,000. That's New South Wales and Sydney. So 10 times the average salary is what a home costs versus um, 1994, which is as early as these figures go back. The average salary was 36K. The average home was 169, so it was only five times the salary so um house prices have been kind of continuing to 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 increase despite other economic factors
0: increasingly developers are buying more and more of our market how is this going to affect us in the long term
1: well yeah it definitely will continue to drive prices up if people are are increasing those property portfolios and it's going to you know further increase the gap between um, what millennials can afford to save up and and what um you know, house prices are actually um, amounting to, you know, the, 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 the gap between what people pay and, and, and even the, the deposit people have to save has been increasing. The time it takes people to save a deposit has been increasing um, in Australia over recent years. So, you know, as long as the, the incentive is to kind of keep building those portfolios and buy your seventh and eighth house, then, you know, that's encouraging accumulating rather than distributing wealth.
0: So against the advice of a lot of economists, the RBA or the Reserve Bank of Australia has decided to cut rates again. Can you explain why they've done that?
1: They've done it three times this year indeed. So at uh, the beginning of the year, when we surveyed economists or the, towards the end of last year, actually, and we asked them what their kind of forecast was for this year. Generally, people were saying that they expected the next cash rate movement was going to be in a positive direction through uh, 2017. Most of that year, we saw like 70, 80% of the economists we spoke to saying they expected the next cash rate movement to be up. And then over the course of last year, over the course of this year, sorry, we saw um, three cash rate movements. So the cash rate's gone from 1.5% to 0.75% by the end of the year, um, which obviously means that uh, home loans have become increasingly cheaper which has pushed house prices up. It means that people are making not less money from saving, so it's becoming more difficult for anybody who's looking to save for a deposit to actually save for a deposit. And um, But worst of all, it, according to the economists we were talking to, it doesn't look like there's been, aside from the increase in house prices, it doesn't look like there's been much of an effect from these three rate cuts from the RBA um the wage growth is continuing to, to be pretty slow and other economic indicators are continuing to look a little bit grim. So there's probably another cut on the cards. Most of the economists are saying around, it could be as soon as February um, next year. Um, and if that doesn't work, we could be looking at quantitative easing to try and recover the market. So yeah, the, 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 the other thing too is the, the more cuts the OBI makes, um, the, the less effective each next cut can potentially be. The lower they get to zero, the lower wiggle room they have in future. Um, so they'd probably be, you know, a little bit careful making making further cuts from here. But definitely one more in February. It looks like it's on the cards.
0: But wouldn't this burn through the ammunition they need to fight off a recession before one even started?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, once once they finish, once they reach close to zero in terms of um, how low they can push the interest rate, there's a couple of options that come up for the RBA. One of them is going to negative interest rates, which we've seen in some countries in, in, in Europe where basically you pay, you have to pay if you have savings in, in a bank and you get paid money to take out a loan, which is a completely topsy-turvy world and the RBI has said they don't want to get into that territory. The other option then that's open to them to try and stimulate the economy um, if cuts are not working is, is quantitative easing, is, is printing cash um, and, 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 and pushing it into the market, which we very well could see um, next year if the economy doesn't can, doesn't start to recover by itself.
0: We can't talk about real estate in Australia without discussing foreign investment. Uh, is it as big a factor as everyone puts it out to be? And if so, who is investing
1: in Australia? China is the big one. So one third of overseas investment um, in Australia comes from China. So this used to be a kind of big um, talk uh, topic was, should we be like reducing the um, amount of uh, overseas investment and the number of overseas buyers in the property market? But I don't really think we need to do anything about it necessarily because it's decreasing naturally anyway. So there's three things that, that came into so the, the, uh, the the price drops obviously make it less appealing for international investors. The uh, higher stamp duty makes it more costly to get into the market. And then this law where only 50% of homes in a development project can be bought overseas and the other 50% need to be bought in Australia um, has led to a, a decrease in interest from overseas. So we saw a 58% plunge in 2018 tax year in overseas investment and that follows a fifty-nine percent plunge the previous year. So really the, the international interest in the Australian housing market is massively drawing up right now.
0: So how reliant are we on the Chinese market? Let's say if the Shanghai Stock Exchange was to take a huge dive, what would be the effect on our economy?
1: That is huge. That is huge. The um the 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 dependency of the Australian economy on the Chinese economy is absolutely massive. So of our export market, thirty percent of, of the, the uh, goods that we export go to China. It's mostly iron ore and coal, which themselves make up twenty seven percent of what we export. China's thirty percent, Japan's thirteen, South Korea's six, Singapore is three. So between just those four countries, that's over half of the uh, you know the money coming into Australia for for, for uh, uh, products that we send overseas is coming from those countries. The U.S. in comparison is only seven percent. So we're hugely dependent on China. In fact. When we asked economists recently in our survey um, what was the number one uh, economic concern for them in the world affecting Australia right now, the US China trade deal came up by far as, as the highest cited issue. So, um, so yeah, the, 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 the Australian economy definitely very heavily reliant on China.
0: So, our audience is looking forward for next year into 2020. Would you be recommending to look into renting or buying for next year based on the market?
1: That's a really good question. Um, the Before we get to that, I suppose that the, for people looking to potentially buy next year, the, the first thing to focus on is, um, is saving a deposit for a home, right? And in a low interest environment, that's increasingly difficult to do because interest rates are, are very, very low. To your other question on on renting or saving next year. I mean, it just looks like it's going to be more of the same. To be honest, the the housing market recovery, when it started, there was some conversation as to whether it's going to be, you know, full recovery or a dead cat bounce. Um, In other words, whether it's going to be just a blip and continue to to fall. Um, But it looks as the months go on, like the housing market recovery might be be here to stay. So it looks like house prices are going to continue to grow, maybe recover to where they were. Rents will probably continue to stay low. because of negative gearing so it doesn't look like there's an awful lot of change Um, so anyone who's looking to buy you know focus on trying to build that uh, that nest egg um, indefinitely because you know because of negative gearing australia is an interesting situation where the rents are so much less than mortgage payments you know so uh, there's a couple of business owners who've done interviews and who choose to rent because they say the difference in what i pay for rent versus what i have to pay for a mortgage Instead of investing that in a home, I can invest that in a business. So I can invest that in the stock market. I can invest that in other places where I think it's going to make more interest than in a home. Um, so there is an argument to be made that, you know, not everybody needs to needs to be setting their, their sights on, on a home as the fin- final, uh, final goal.
0: So if there is a recession coming, what indicators should we be looking for?
1: You can actually have indicators that point towards a housing bubble or not, you know. Um, But the economists say you can, the the main two kind of indicators they talk about are housing affordability, which is the uh, cost of a home versus the income uh, that people make. And the other one is the debt to income ratio. This we haven't talked about yet um, in this conversation. So this is the um, amount of household debt on average in a country versus the average disposable income for households in the country. Um, And the Australian household debt in March this year hit 200%, which is one of the highest in the world. Um, according to a report from um, UBS. Uh, to compare it to the UK, for example, the debt-to-income ratio is only 123%. So it's an awful lot of a riskier kind of setup here. That's combined with the, the another UBS report, which is showing that one-third of um, homeowners in Australia are... Um, well, they were calling them lawyer loans, but also uh, were providing misleading information on their home loan applications in order to try and get loans. So people are exaggerating their income, basically, and they're potentially... Some people borrowing more than they can possibly afford and um, so there there's some economic indicators i mean we did a couple of videos on this um as i said we did two videos on either side of uh, whether we're going to see a recession so we had 12 reasons why australia is heading for a recession one of them was uh that wage growth is stalled the other one is new car sales are going downhill that's another indicator to keep an eye on um as a country uh as people's uh, uh, income gets um, lighter and their, their spending has to be restricted, new cars tend to be the thing that people ditch from the budget immediately. And we've seen quite a big drop in, in the sale in new cars in Australia over recent years. So that's one indicator to keep an eye on. Um, the number of people defaulting on their home loans is another one to keep an eye on. That's an indicator. So that's the number of people who are not able to pay their loan back anymore and um, have to um, um, officially go into default and um, deal with the bank in that way we've seen a small increase there but not much it's gone from about 1.4 to 1.6 i think um there's another indicator which is the risk of australia's loan book this one is quite complicated um but the the loan book in australia is as we discussed earlier heavily dependent on investors and they're heavily dependent on interest-only loans and um, which means that if property prices did go back to decreasing, there'll be a large number of investors who'll be looking to get out of the property market because they're losing money. Uh, Retail sales is one more indicator that you could look at, which is the amount of money people are spending in stores, which has been going down as well because that obviously indicates the health of people's pockets too. And uh, people booking holidays overseas is another indicator. So we have an uh, an engine on Finder um, where people can search for car insurance, travel insurance deals internationally. So you say where you're going, you say the number of days, And you can get the cheapest deal or the deal options that are available to you and we've seen the number of days people are trying to book holidays for getting shorter and shorter and shorter over the last couple of years so that could potentially be an indicator and that things are not necessarily going in a positive direction
0: well is there anything you can recommend that might improve our chances uh, against all this
1: there's a couple of things that really would, would help um increase kind of stability in the market one is is either either confirming the US-China trade deal or, or, or Trump leaving the YAs at the next election and removing that volatility, um, which is causing a lot of uncertainty kind of in global markets. And that will help, uh, you know, the global economy that will therefore help Australia. You know, a, a good Brexit deal being agreed and stopping all of this uncertainty in the EU would, would help as well. Um, quantitative easing might be something the RBA will introduce next year, and that may have an effect as well. Um, But really, um, yeah, I'm not not sure what the the final solution is. I don't think any of the 40 economists on our panel would have a, a concrete answer to that either.
0: It seems now more than ever that these are uncertain times with no one really knowing what's coming up and what might happen. The answer to this may lie in taking a look into the banks themselves. So we turn to our next guest.
2: Part two, commissions and corruptions. If you look at household debt, that's fairly high. And a lot of that debt is from housing. And I think the economy's become too focused on housing and mining. Uh, one of the things we talk about is economic complexity where Australia ranks like 80th in the world. Alex
0: Saunders is the founder and presenter of Nuggets News, an online video channel and podcast, and is an expert in cryptocurrency and all things economics inside Australia.
2: It basically means that if the world slows down its use of minerals, and we know that China is slowing from its big uh, boom, uh, and if housing doesn't continue to accelerate at the same pace it has in recent decades, then we need to find other high paying jobs for our economy.
0: In your opinion, do you think the Australian housing market is inflated?
2: I think you've got to break it up in so obviously there's suburbs that aren't and I live down in Tassie and that was relatively undervalued with the average house price at you know $200,000 10 years ago and now that's caught up a lot. Whereas we look at historic norms in Melbourne and Sydney, there's a lot of places that are still, you know, 10 times the annual wage um, to the cost of a house. And that's, that's a lot higher than historic norms of, you know, somewhere between three and five. So for the average person, it's very hard to afford an average home at the moment. And
0: what do you think is the main reason that people are struggling to afford homes?
2: Well, I think this goes full circle to everything we talk about on the channel. And a lot of why that's really important is because of economics and finance and what's going on globally. And what's happened particularly since the financial crisis is this this easy monetary policy of low interest rates. And a lot of that money supply has found its way into assets. So the stock market and housing. And we're seeing it again now in Australia where the, the top end and the wealthy are benefiting the most. And yes, I think that's why a lot of money has gone to housing because it's so easy to get more debt these days. You know, banks before the Royal Commission were giving people a million dollar loan with very few questions asked.
0: And for our listeners who might not be aware, can you explain what the results of the Hain Royal Commission were?
2: So basically, there was a Royal Commission in Australia into bank lending practices, particularly around the housing market and a lot of people going in to get mortgages and they were being assessed at these you know generalized rates and it wasn't granular data that they were actually looking at if someone had the real income that they were saying and what their expenses were, could they afford to pay this back over time? And there were huge bonuses being given out uh, by the banks to brokers, very similar to anyone that's watched the documentaries or movies about the financial crisis in the US. So all of a sudden you've got these people that have got huge incentives to give anyone a mortgage. And now we're going through the period where a lot of these people that got these mortgages can't afford them, particularly the interest only mortgages a look into what the banks and the lending practices were doing that was very wrong. And there's been global studies on this as well as the Royal Commission conducted here in Australia. And basically Australia scored 10 out of 10 in terms of corruption and fraud that was going on in the housing market.
0: And what do you think opened the door to all of this?
2: I, I think it's this notion that's been ingrained in us that property only ever goes up and you've got to get on the property ladder. There's these seminars that tell you, you know, buy as much property as you can. We've got incentives like negative gearing, which again, I think we're gonna talk about later, but they're just not in other countries. So there's all these, it's like any asset class, once it starts to accelerate and people hear about other people making money and they know that they can borrow huge amounts, they only need to put down a very small amount to buy their first apartment or, or do up a house and then flip it and, everybody's winning, then of course, people continue to pile into that asset class. And it keeps going up until it doesn't, which is what we've seen recently.
0: And for our audience, can you explain what negative gearing is?
2: So simply put, negative gearing allows someone that has an investment property, let's say that you rent that out and you get $500 a week rent but your mortgage to pay that off is 600 or 700 dollars a week so you get to then deduct that extra that's coming out of your pocket that's not covering the mortgage you get to deduct that of your taxable income so it's something that is used by a lot of australians not not just wealthy australians there's a lot of middle class australians that use this as well but i think it's something that it does benefit those the haves more than the have-nots because all of a sudden we hear stories of people with 10 or 100 investment portfolios, and if they're not making money from the rent and whatnot, they can just reduce it off their taxable income. And people that don't have investment properties and are trying to buy their first home, they end up competing with these people that are buying all these investment properties and, and levered up and just using negative gear into their advantage. As long as everything keeps going up in price, this works really well. But as soon as this starts to go down in price, all of a sudden the bank says, Well, you know, you're, you, you know, you owe us a lot of money. The price of that home is now worth less than when you bought it. And the money you put down, the very little deposit, five or 10%, now that the house price has gone down that five or 10%, you know, the, the bank is now in danger. So they start to say, well, you've got to either put down more money and sell that home. And that's what starts the cascade, which the government are trying to fight off at the moment. Because so many people, if you've got a hundred properties that are all levered up and negatively geared, it gets really ugly really quickly as soon as home prices stop going up.
0: So the banks have cut the interest rates again to near zero levels. Why do you think they've done that?
2: So the theory here, and this gets back to economics and whether their models are actually correct or not. And I'd argue that they're they're not, you know, they didn't see the financial crisis coming. They haven't seen any of these financial crises coming. And their models tell them that if they drop interest rates, it frees up the disposable income for that average person because the rate on their home loan, their credit card and their other debts goes down. So it reduces that stress. But the other thing it's trying to do is get people to spend money so encourage people to borrow more money because the interest rates are low off to start a new business or to buy that car or that home but at the same time you don't get any return on your savings so it really is punishing savers and retirees and those people that rely on interest rates but it's had the opposite effect in a lot of countries now and central banks are starting to acknowledge this that when you drop interest rates from one sorry from five percent to one percent the retiree is no longer earning 5% on their savings. So they've actually got to knuckle down more and spend less and it's having the opposite effect. And if anything, the money that is being lent out by these banks, it's to the big corporates and and their speculators that are buying more properties, buying more stocks, these huge share buybacks that you see, and it hasn't got into the real economy at all. So that's why we see at the moment in Australia, the top end of the housing market and the premium suburbs are having this aggressive growth because You know, the rich guy isn't affected by a bit of a downturn in the economy or his wages are still enormous and now it's easier for him to get more mortgages and more debt whereas the average person that hasn't seen any change in wages does the interest rate really matter for them if it's five percent or three percent on their home loan if they still can't borrow a million dollars and pay it back in 30 years the bank still won't let them do that
0: there's a lot of debate at the moment about how to do a national stimulus package to help the economy and whether we should be stimulating the economy by giving money to the big banks and, uh, and big business. Like one party's proposed and another party's proposed that we should give it towards uh, small families, first time home buyers uh, and you know the lower uh, socioeconomic areas of society. And which do you think would be more beneficial for the economy overall?
2: Oh, without a doubt, we've seen what's happened in the US has been a failure stocks at record highs and house prices up the wealthy have got so much wealthier and you look at how wide the inequality gap has become in the us since uh, 2008 the gfc one of the things that we did really well in australia to help avoid the recession was give those you know those handouts or tax cuts whatever you want to call them injected into the hands of the people so politically what we're seeing globally is people say no to higher taxes and governments trying to work out how they're going to fund their, their deficits and what they're going to do next time because they don't want to bail out banks and they're hesitant to do more rounds of QE. So yes, some sort of people's QE, they're talking about mod monetary theory. I think that whether, or not, whether they like it or not, people are going to demand that they get money rather than the banks get money in the next crisis.
0: If the housing market potentially goes south, what damage could that possibly do to our economy?
2: So let's say that housing housing corrected say ten percent. Let's say if it corrected twenty percent, at that stage they've got to start marking those mortgages to the actual property um, value now. And so if someone borrowed a million dollars and you only had to put ten percent down, all of a sudden they're now underwater. So the bank's going to say you've got to cough up another um, you know another ten percent. Now, people can't can't cough that up if they haven't had wage rises, and we know how indebted households are. So they're forced sellers. And now that starts a cascade of forced selling. And then all of a sudden property prices down 30%. And that, you know, continues the cascade where everyone has taken out more debt that is now marked to the actual value of their property, and they're all underwater. Now, these people that are underwater, they're not going out and spending money. They've got no spare money. Every dollar they've got is trying to keep them afloat buy their next house. Um, so obviously the economy suffers and that's what we're seeing now. The number of you know, car sales is dropping, retail has been in recession. Uh, Australia's actual economy is in a recession if it wasn't for the rates of immigration. So it, it's, it's really worrying uh, that Australians don't have that spare income. I don't think we're gonna see a boom in the economy anytime soon.
0: One of the biggest problems we have coming up is that the banks are moving from interest only loans to principal plus
2: interest loans. Can you explain what that is? During the height of the mania, it was got up to 40, 45% of loans were investors or interest only loans. And if a house is a million dollars, you only have to pay the interest on that loan. You don't have to pay down the million dollars. And the only scenario that works in is when you're hoping that the house keeps going up in price and you can sell it to someone for $1.2 million in a couple of years time. So again, once the house prices start falling, why are you gonna keep paying interest on something that's worth less and, and losing your money? So that can start a cascade. But what we also found was these periods that they get these uh, loans as a sweetener with you know better uh, interest rates or whatnot, that's changed a bit re- recently that period, the three or five years that they signed up for where you can pay only the interest and then you've got to make a decision to sell it at a profit. And at the moment, some of them are at a loss or roll it over and the bank says, well, you have to start paying down the actual million dollars that you borrowed as well. And the greatest amount in the hundreds of billions of dollars of those loans is coming up uh, in 2019 currently and, and 2020 and also tapers off a bit, but still large in 2021. and. What we're seeing is refinancing rejections have spiked. So people are going back into the bank, and this is also after the royal commission. So not only did a lot of these people not even realise what an interest-only loan is, it's scary when you read these, um, you know, these studies that have been done, and people didn't realise that they even had this coming up, which makes you wonder what they were being told at the time. But these people are being told, well, you can't afford that. A lot of the time, your payments will be going up hundreds of dollars uh, a week or a month. Then people say, geez, I didn't know that. I can't afford that. And again, then they become a forced seller. So that's what's happening at the moment. Um, After the, the Royal Commission, banks have become a lot more stringent with their lending. And at the moment, they're being told to loosen up because so many people were being rejected when they came in to refinance these loans and being told, well, no, you actually You shouldn't have been able to even get that you can't afford that Uh, and now they become a forced seller
0: do you think there's a solution to any of this
2: you don't want to make these sudden changes that would cause a crash in the housing market because that's really negative for the economy as we discussed but you have to gradually i think get rid of things like negative gearing that just favor people with houses too much it's getting so hard for the average guy to compete with all this other investment and incentives for those people that already have homes but i think you've just got to focus on the real economy so you know they've had this huge commitment to mining and things like coal which it doesn't make sense to me We've, we should be investing in you know do, forget what you think about global uh, warming global warming or climate change whatever you want to call it i think everyone can agree that we need to you know go down the renewable energy path and spend more on medical research education things that australia is really good at and actually can compete with the rest of the world because at the moment yeah we're focused on resources and there's plenty of countries which are now competing with us there's lots of things that we do where we can be matched um, for labor, and I think that's gonna put downwards pressure on wages as globalization continues. So Australia's gotta have a good, lot, good, hard, long look at itself and say, how much of our economy is reliant on, on banks, um, mining, and, and property, and what else are we good at? Because I think those things are not gonna be anywhere near as fruitful as the recent decades have been.
0: It seems that governments and bankers together have caused a lot of these problems. But what if government could also be the solution? We turn to our next guest.
1: Part three, from inside the
3: house. The housing market generally, um, globally, in all the developed economies, if you look across the world, is is particularly challenged. Um, here in Australia, of course, we've got this counter-cyclical action going on between East Coast and West Coast. We see here in Western Australia where we're very much dominated by the resources sector, which has a cycle, if you like. Uh, we, get, uh, we get buffeted by, by those sorts of things that
0: affects our, our uh, rental market and certainly our home ownership market. Peter Tinley is the Minister for Housing for Western Australia, who's going to give us an in-the-room look what the government is trying to do to ease this terrible problem.
3: So the median house price here in Western Australia is about 400, dwelling price I should say, is about $435,000. And so that's accessible, but the challenge we've got here is getting the 20% plus deposit required by the banks and plus survive what has been, quite frankly, really difficult credit assessment terms um, that they're undertaking uh, when they when they're looking to, to uh, process somebody's
0: uh, um, credit application for a housing loan and why is it so important that we see a constant growth in the housing market you know why is the government putting this as such a high priority on the agenda
3: yeah, well we we, we we do need a certain amount of growth in in housing prices um, because that assists people in building equity in their home and and makes the the cost of credit uh, more more accessible so one of the problems we've got in Western Australia is uh, we run a, a a state bank if you like or a loan facility a 4.8 billion dollar loan book which has a two percent deposit uh, which is you know the last of the low deposit lenders uh, and we've been doing that for 30 years here um, but one of the problems is it's not about keeping people on the books not like a bank we want to get them loan get them a loan and get them out but as a result of the low inflation, if you like, or low, low uh, uh, building in house prices prices you know, relative to, to the past, what we're finding is those people aren't building the equity enough to go out and, and get a deal with a commercial bank.
0: Something that I found interesting is the fact that our vacancy rate is under 3%, but the amount of houses that use less than 50 litres of water is far higher than that. I mean, that would indicate that a lot of these houses are sitting there empty. Why do you think the rent prices are going up if there are so many more houses empty than what's actually available on the market?
3: What we've potentially got here is what they call a lock market. So we've got vacancy rates at uh, 2.4% in rental vacancy terms. So that typically then, that's a supply, anything under 3% is called supply constraint. And that starts to move the rents up, which then becomes a motivator for people to Exit rental and, and accept a mortgage or get to a mortgage. Um, unfortunately, again, credit is being choked as a result of the the implications of the, the Royal Commission, the Home Royal Commission, that uh, really, in the end, in my view, has punished um, the the consumers of, of of credit for the housing credit um, because the 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 uh, challenge for them is to actually survive a
0: credit assessment now which is is significant and onerous. For our listeners who might not be aware, can you explain what the findings of the Hain Royal Commission were?
3: Well, the Hayne Royal Commission identified um, some very, very poor practices by the banking and financial sector um, about uh, price gouging and fee charging around uh, some of the other products that they offer it through those financial institutions like um, you know, like insurance and household insurance, life insurance, superannuation, uh, savings arrangements. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's quite shocking actually when you consider um, the trust that uh, Australians put into, you know, those institutions that were created as by and large by policy that preserved the superiority of the four, four big banks. Um, as a result, um, you know, the shareholders of those banks um, suffered because they had to pay the fines that uh, that were inevitably coming from the various governing bodies, uh, and then it created a knee-jerk reaction in my view, where they tightened the way they led the way they uh, provided credit to to consumers, ordinary mums and dads, if you like, going in for a house loan. Um, the sorts of uh, invasive, if you like, uh, assessments of their capacity to pay the loans has been quite it's quite stiff. You know, they go multiples of pages of information. Um, if you've, uh, if we're hearing stories now. If you, if you're on your application at a bank, identified um, using Uber, then they'll, um, you know, on your bank statements when they went through your credit cards, uh, then that had a certain effect on the way they actually applied your standard of living. The fact is that what they don't do and don't assess um, is the fact that people will modify their lifestyle. Uh, to ensure that they do meet their obligations in the consumer credit market, particularly around the, the putting a roof over their head, so the sort of things that we're seeing the banks assess for people's credit, whilst they're not they're not untrue, they're true, but they're making no assessment about the, the the capacity for those people that are lending the money to actually modify their their behaviour or modify their approach to how they value a roof over the head, and I think those sorts of things need to be redressed because what we're going to see, as I said before, we've got people are sitting in, in uh, increasing prices of rent accommodation, um, not able to move into the credit market or the mortgage market, um, and that's creating a problem for the demand in the construction industry, so we're getting a reduction in the number of houses that are being started, it becomes this particular cycle that um, what you could almost call as a lock market.
0: So against that, the New South Wales Liberal government is proposing that the solution of this issue is the relaxing of building construction standards, so that a lot more cheap apartments can be built in the western suburbs. Do you think this is a viable option?
3: Uh, no, and, and there there is some contentious issues around the New South Wales building construction market where they have private certification, that is people... Um, paid by the owners of the building, the building to come in and certify the building at various stages. Um, that's the sort of thing we're watching very closely to see how that will th- uh, flow through through the various investigations, particularly from the consumer protection side, but also the building standards side that uh, are under- underway in New South Wales. We won't be repeating the the, the, the problems they've had in, in New South Wales around some of those um, particularly high profile, um, building problems like
0: Opal, for example, and for our listeners not aware, the Opal project was a self-inspected apartment block in Sydney that is now falling apart within a few years of construction, and has become a major danger to its residents, uh, much like Greenfell in uh, was before the fires in the UK. To try and ease these problems, do you think the government should get more involved in the housing market, or should they turn more control over to the private sector?
3: Well, it's as always, it wouldn't surprise you to know that there's a there's a uh no silver bullet, there's uh, multiple um, levels of activity that need to go on, one of the things that, and there's the Commonwealth and the state need to participate in this as well. We're very lucky here in Western Australia, we have a social housing uh, program, social and affordable housing program that's over 100 years old where we've been cross-subsidising for years. That is, we will work with private developers and we'll work with the, the industry to develop a particular block. For example, we take it, you know a uh, 20-unit site, if you like, uh, we'll build 20 units, um, we'll sell about uh, uh, about 10 or 15 of those to the market, take the profit from that and that will purchase a couple of social and then a couple of affordable units inside that that we could take through our own social affordable system. So, we've been doing that for years and years, working with the private sector. We need now to take that to a level. Beyond which it was started, which was single lot dwellings, and take it into multi lot dwellings or, or apartments and units. And not I'm not necessarily talking about your your 20 story apartment block. The, the majority of the densification that happens in cities is, is two and three um, uh, level walk ups. You know, so just uh, s- smaller unit size, the missing middle, as they call
0: the middle medium density sort of stuff. And where do you think these houses should be built?
3: Uh, I think and what we've learned and we, we've learned from a, 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 a lot of experience is that you don't have a concentration of any particular demographic in any particular location. The most vibrant communities are um, are those that are a mixed demographic. So both by age, by socioeconomic uh, circumstances and they actually thrive and the, the evidence is very clear about that. Um, so we're, we're always conscious now of keeping our social particular our social presence or social housing presence in any one particular development um, to a certain level um, and it's always mixed in and we we impose if you like on larger developments in certain precincts a 12.5% social and affordable quota um, for them to deliver in each of their developments and so they get an uplift in plot ratio or density um, but they also have to provide those sorts of That sort of outcome for us so we're getting a really good mix across the across the whole fabric of the urban area
0: so the housing market in western australia is a lot friendlier to younger people uh, than it is in let's say new south wales victoria are there any key programs your government's introduced that maybe could be rolled out over the country to uh, ease the problems over there Uh, here in
3: western australia we we have as i said the 4.8 billion eight billion dollar loan book which has a two percent deposit lowest of any institution in australia Um, That's called Key Start, which is a a, a magnificent piece of public policy. Um, We also have a social affordable, we have other programs like Shared Equity for example where uh, the state will retain about 40% of the the value of the dwelling and so the occupant can then just uh, get lending for 60% of it and and that's been a very successful program to make that affordable. Making sure the developments at the precinct level have those sort of um, those sort of quotas I'm talking about of twelve and a half percent social and affordable, and making sure that we're keeping it all honest around what is affordable. Is it market affordable, or is it genuinely uh, income affordable? For me, it uh, it needs to be income affordable, uh, as opposed to market affordable. So whether they take the average of the local area uh, and say that's the affordable price, well. For me, it's about the average income in Western Australia, the bottom, bottom couple of percentiles, if you like. The other thing the state's doing that people don't often talk about is um, the millions and millions of dollars we do in what they call bond loans. One of the things of getting people into secure accommodation, rental accommodation, is they can't afford the bond. And so um, we've we've been lending, doing what they call bond loans for people get into the private rental market for, for many, many, many years, and it's, um, yeah, it's in the order of uh, several thousand people any particular year that we support. So there's a range of treatments uh, that we can apply both at the state and federal level that actually do genuinely alleviate or uh, allow a more equitable access into to, to secure accommodation.
0: Some people are putting forward solutions to try and solve these problems, but are they problems we've seen before? Is this something we can predict our next guess seems to think so. Part four: A familiar story.
4: Uh, it's unusual at house prices that double or triple over a townspan span of uh, 20 years in real terms. Uh, there are also some indicators that show that well, it's well about the rental values. It's well about the trend in income, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's difficult to assess. We don't know how much it's valued, but definitely it is inflated.
0: Danish economist Jakob Madsen is one of the global leaders in financial analysis and is now a professor of macroeconomics at the University of Western Australia. Jakob correctly predicted the IT crash of 2001 and the GFC of 2008, and he's come onto the show today to give us an insight onto what he thinks comes next for our economy.
4: Oh, well, uh, it, it's well about the American market has not increased that much if you look at the trend line since World War II. Now, Australia is exceptional since '95. there's usually the benchmark year they take. And uh, if you compare with Britain and uh, to some European countries, yes, it's a bit ahead of the other countries. Partly reflecting that there is, uh, um, it, it's the most urbanized economy in the world almost apart from Singapore and Hong Kong. Uh, that's, that's clearly an important factor here because it means that you can't build yourself out of the housing bubble. You can't just increase supply as much as you have been able to in some countries like uh, the continental Europe.
0: So the federal government over here has been preaching a doctrine of building more houses to solve the problem. Do you think this will actually solve it?
4: It's incorrect for Australia because uh, uh, although we have a lot of land in Australia, the urban land is is, is very small proportion. Uh, or in our words, urbanisation rate is extremely high, and it's concentrated on uh, particularly Melbourne and Sydney. Uh, that's a big problem, and therefore it's difficult to build us self out of the crisis.
0: So most of the economists I've spoken to have said that cutting the interest rates. Is not a great idea at the moment. So why do you think the government is continuously cutting the interest rates to near zero levels?
4: I think they're scared of a recession. I think that it's too pump liquidity out in the economy, um, and I believe that. Uh, unless they, they lower the interest rates to, to get the economy going, the housing market going, investment going, and so on. Uh, in my view, it's uh, uh, I'm not a fan of this policy because uh, we are not in a deep recession. We need to save up for a rainy day. If we have another DFC, we know that uh, then we can't cut the interest rates because they're rock bottom low. When we hit the GFC, we could cut interest rates by four percentage points. And, and clearly, that was an important factor to get it out of the GFC, but it's not available again. A GFC can easily come around because there's so much bad debt out there, so much disequilibrium in the world market that there are some danger signals around.
0: And what danger signals do you think we should be looking out for?
4: When you have an inflated housing market, which we have across the whole world almost, uh, that means that there's only one way house price can go, and that's down. And coupled with very high credit, it means the people, they can't honor their debt. When they go into negative equity, that means that the debt exceeds the value of the house. Uh, then you, you start to see red, red signal, disequilibrium. And if you look at the share market, that has also been overvalued for many years. And that's again, a a bubble tendency, uh, and that's going to hurt when the share market uh, falls further.
0: Well, staying on the share market for now and let's compare it against the average household. Something I found really interesting is the ASX has grown by 201% in the last 10 years, that's over doubled, but Australian households on average are becoming poorer in real purchasing power. In fact, in the same period, we have now reached a point where 46% of households in Australia are living paycheck to paycheck with no major savings. Do you think this is symptomatic of something bigger?
4: That's that's a serious problem. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. The uh, the trouble is that, particularly in Western Australia, uh, you have the 10% of the households they are negative equity. So then, at some states, the bank is going to to ask for their money back, uh, and and then it's often foreclosure. You go into an all kind of nasty thing now. Another thing, another ticking bomb um, and you don't hear much about is that uh, a a very high fraction of the mortgage is interest-only loans. That means you're not paying off the the principal. The principal remains the same year after year. Now, these loans, they are going to expire uh, the next few years. What it means is, uh, well, you can't roll over on interest-only loan. The regulators forbid that. So you have to go into a situation where you have to pay the principal off. You have to pay off your debt. On average, that would be $7,000 a year, $7,000 for a family who's already under financial stress. And how much worse do you think this is going to get? The interest rates, can't go further down. So that's not going to keep a bottom on the housing market. Income, we're in recession now, and not recession, but uh, productivity has has kind of stalled, and it's not going to go up the next five, ten 10 years. Uh, and so the only factor that can bring it up is uh, uh, banks' willingness to lend, and that's not going up, that's going down now. I can imagine that uh, house price would easily go down 10% further, maybe 20%. And even further, we have seen it. In Denmark, house prices dropped after the you by 35%, so it can happen.
0: So if there's so much bad debt out there, should the banks stop lending to people?
4: If credit to business dries up, Uh, We're going to go into a recession, no question about this. This is the only way an economy can advance. It's the only way you can get that the the strong, important sectors of the economy to thrive. And these sectors I'm talking about is the manufacturing, particularly um, a key sector in the economy. And that's definitely a sector. And other sector that will suffer a lot is the research and development sector, partly integrated to the manufacturing sector because uh, research and development that needs a lot of uh, credit, often very risky credit because it's risky business and that is often what you see that you save on these uh, items when it goes downhill and I'm afraid it could happen for Australia.
0: And obviously these days we can't just look to our government what our government does you know we are very reliant on international trade particularly with our chinese partners you know what would happen if let's say the chinese market was to start to go or the chinese stock exchange was to uh, to collapse
4: oh that could be serious and that's trouble we are becoming far too dependent on china on export market as 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 well as the housing market so yes as you say if things get sour in China, well, it's going to be affect Australia doubly. First, the export market, and, and secondly, the housing market. We well, can put into free for probably only the flat market, uh, the market for apartments, because um, there's clearly a bias in their ownership. They own flats. They don't own uh, many houses. But we have seen before that foreigners, uh, the capital is very mobile and and if they want to sell it can go very quickly and if the whole chinese community uh, they decide to sell it's going to be very bad very bad for the economy and housing market so when the housing market goes down then there's a lot of people coming into bad debt and that's what they will do then is to uh, Reduce demand in Australia. Secondly, the banks will get into bad credit, very bad credit, and they'll restrict their lending. So you get what we call the financial accelerator, and that's when things then really goes bad. That the credit uh, that's going to all investment, to often going to investment in stocks. The stock market will suffer, investment in fixed capital will suffer, the housing market will suffer, demand will go down, government revenue will go down. So it will affect the whole economy from one end to the other. Any aggregate will be affected, government, private sector, and, and uh, the, the, the household sector. And it's all, It's going to be very painful.
0: So for younger people who might be listening, uh, do you think it's a good idea to keep renting or should we be looking at buying a house?
4: I would take it easy and rent, no question. There's no harm in waiting, there's no harm in, in having rent. I would certainly do that if I was young and um, didn't have any aspirations in the near future to go into a house, so, so it's a bit depending on the budget. but. Um, uh, I would certainly not uh, rush into the market to buy the first and the best.
0: So the million dollar question, is there a recession coming?
4: Uh, yes, I believe that. And uh, I think there are so many indicators that uh, uh, tend in that direction because uh, although it's very difficult to, to predict an economy well, I always look at the financial sector because that's where everything starts. If you look at all of the downturns, the big downturns that have been um, uh, precipitated by um, falling stock prices, falling house prices, falling credit, and that's all what we see today, so there certainly some uh, indicators that point that direction, so uh, uh, we may not get into a recession, but one thing is true, and that's where I have quite a solid ground, is that uh, the growth is not going to be strong the next 10 years in Australia. Uh, because we are an economy that lives of commodities and agricultural products and tourism, things you, you should not live off. That's exactly what they do in Africa. And these are things that also makes it a bit more difficult for the Australian economy to, to grow in the future, the next few years. Uh, so I think, yes, it's going to, we're going to see a bit of a pause in economic growth.
0: So whose fault is this? Who has us here? Is it the banks? Is it the government? Who is at fault here?
4: I think both. Uh, on one hand, you know, banks, they do whatever that gives them the highest profit. So uh, if they get the free hands to go out and lend them, well, they'll do it. So I think it's it's uh, uh, it's a parameters set up by the regulators, and that's ultimately the politicians. Now, of course, some, they say, well, banks, they're not as prudent as they used to be, and the moral is uh, not as good as it used to be. And I think that's true. But at the end of the day, it got to be controlled by the government and the rules set out by the government. And uh, the rules that have been set out have been laxed enormously since the 70s. The 70s banks wouldn't, was not allowed to lend out almost without permission to every single loan. So things have changed completely from back then. And that has changed the whole landscape and it comes back to deregulation by the politicians.
0: Do you think there is a solution? Do you think there's something we can do to get out of this?
4: As Malcolm Turnbull talked about all the time was innovations, but nothing has been done about innovations. The only way we can get out of this mess here in Australia is to uh, get some research and development going to get the manufacturing back on where it was in the 60s. It was a very big fraction of the economy and you cannot have an economy that's growing without manufacturing or a sophisticated sector. Now, how do you get that kickstart? Well, that's the classical one with tax brackets on investment in R and D. Another thing I think is much more promising is that the government should start venture capital and should support it because the banks are, too tired of their credit at the moment to to, uh, go into risky capital. Then the government need to start their own venture capital. They have had that in Denmark for decades. It's extremely successful. Denmark is one of the most innovative countries per capita in the world. And that's because there's plenty of venture capital about. And that's what you need because R&D research and development is often new start a business of new innovators with no money, there's nowhere to go unless they can borrow some money. There's a high risk they'll go bankrupt. We know that and that's why it's called venture capital. But if they succeed, the return is very high and that's the way Australia needs to go. And that's the only way you can kickstart growth. You can't get growth going by just sitting there and talking because Australia, in terms of diversification of the economy, of the export. We are number 97 in the world, down at the Africa level, and that's not where it should be, and that's because we have been betting on uh, mining industry. We should get out of mining, that's not a future, there's no future in mining, and I think Australia has a strong base in agriculture, that's where it should put research and development and manufacturing to, to recruit what it lost over the last 30 years.
0: This, this housing crisis, this economy is the greatest challenge for the next generation. We are now at a point where a small portion of property developers have acquired a stranglehold on the entire market, locking out an entire generation. And some of our current leaders are burying their heads in the sand for short-term benefits. All whilst the problem continues to compound and compound and compound We can only hope that one day someone will have the courage to finally tackle this and save a huge chunk of society from playing on a board completely rigged against them. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Red Line. We could not be running this show without you. You can check out Graham's work on finder.com.au and follow him on Twitter at gcook42. I highly recommend you check out Alex's website, Nuggets News, for his insights into economics as well as Bitcoin. It's some of the best in the country and was a huge basis on the research for this episode. Peter Tinley, MLA, can be found on Twitter at Tinley MLA. And if you want some seriously meaty reading, I recommend you check out some of Jakob's papers available from various publications. As for us here at The Red Line, you can check us out at The Red Line Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our Patreon page to help donate to the show. Every dollar you donate helps us keep the show running and get this to as many people as possible. Otherwise, simply like or subscribe to the show as it really helps us get traction. Thanks again for all of your support. We'll be back in a fortnight with another international episode. But as I say in Australia, for now, cheers, mate.